If you're going to use your Bibles in your hands today, I'd invite you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you do not wish to use your Bible with your hands, you can use your Bible with your eyes, and the text will be up on the, on the screen behind me. And uh, let me pray for us as we, as we go into God's word. Thank you, Father, for uh, what's ahead of us as a church. Um, there is a man and probably uh, his family somewhere that you are going to bring here in uh, the future, and we hope the near future, and um, who will uh, uh, pastor this church and uh, preach from the pulpit and love the people. And we just pray, Lord, that you put him and us together. You know where we are, and you know where he is, and you have perfect timing. Continue to bless the search committee, Lord, because uh, they above all things, want to be your conduit, your vessel, your, uh, the tool that you use to minister to this church. And it's a high responsibility, and they feel it. And so give them peace, guidance, direction, unity, uh, um, to help them to fix the things that need fixing and to leave the things that are going well alone. And even though there are peaks and valleys in this process, help them to keep their eyes on you. And uh, we thank you for them and for all their time and labor that they've put into this. And we thank you for your word this morning, Lord, that, um, that it can speak to us in ways that we never even imagined. And I pray that today, Lord, that, that you would use your word to talk to us um, and use it to bless us and bring glory to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Hebrews um, for quite a while now. We're in chapter 11. And rather than skip through all of the names in chapter 11, I've chosen to preach on each and every name that we come to because this is called, as you, I've said many times before, God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame uh, because it is the people that God chose sovereignly to put in this chapter that model a life of faith for you and I. And so when we see someone in scriptures that we can model our lives after, we ought to pay close attention to them. And... Um, it's not a full list of people in the scriptures, but it is, it's a partial list, but it's a powerful list of people in the Bible who exemplify what it means to live by faith and gain the victories in life that God wants them to have. And today we come to David. And uh, I'm just going to read the text in Hebrews just to let you know we are still in Hebrews, and then we'll go back to 1 Samuel 17. And what more shall I say, Hebrews 11.32? What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. We've done those so far. And about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and whose, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." So David, and in spite of some, uh, how do we put this gently, monumental failures that he had, in spite of some, some failures that he had, he was definitely a man of faith. You say, well, how do I know that? Because God put him here. The Holy Spirit inspired his name to be in Faith Hall of Fame. And I, I got to thinking, okay, I can't preach on all of David's life, right? So I got to think, well, what, what event in David's life did he show the most faith in? And I couldn't think of a better example of the life of David in, in terms of having faith than his uh, 
experience with Goliath. And even though it was, he was on the young end of his life, I think it was the greatest act of faith that I could think of in the whole life of David, not that he didn't have others to, uh, to talk about. We love this story, don't we? It never gets old. From little children in Sunday school or junior church all the way up to uh, more mature people um, and older people and uh, we love this story. It never, I, just, it, I love this story. It never gets old to me. And, uh, um, and I love preaching on it, too. And I've preached on it a few times through the years. And the reason why I love it so much is because it reminds me of something. It's a reassurance in my life of the following. It reminds me that no matter what size of a problem I have, no, what, no matter what size of adversity I'm facing, no matter what confusion I face or no matter how intimidating my circumstances are, no, how, no matter how cloudy my future is or difficult my, a decision I have to make, that if I trust God in faith and if I let the battle be the Lord's and not mine, right, then God will come through for me and he'll give me a victory over my Goliath. I, call, I use Goliath a lot as a metaphor that face Goliaths in life, okay? We all face Goliaths in our lives, don't we? We all do. Um, in fact, I bet you there's not one of us here that doesn't have a Goliath that we're facing right now. You say, well, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll just tell you that, and I, just, I guess I just said it, but I have a list of Goliaths at home on my coffee table. I just want you to know that, that I'm no different than you are. Um, and when I get up in the morning and I have my time with God and my time in his word and time in prayer, there's right to my left on my coffee table, hidden from view if you come into my house, is uh, a yellow piece of paper that I have a list of Goliaths in my life. And they make me scream, okay? And, uh, and panic. And they're big, okay? What are these? You say, what's, what's on that list? These are lists of difficult or impossible things, looking things in my life. They are things that, that I am having trouble defeating or overcoming or resolving. They loom over me and they threaten me like Goliath did over the Israelite army and David. And you have Goliath too, whether you've written them down or not. We all have Goliath, okay? Now let me give you some of the options. That might be family-related, relationship-related, job-related, financially-related, health-related, future-related, temptation-related, sin-related, emotionally-related, or attitude-related, or church-related. But I'm just giving you just a tiny sample of these Goliaths, okay? But they could be called Goliaths. And what we want to do here is, is look how David's faith uh, uh, worked in his behalf when he faced Goliath and then applied to our Goliaths. Um, because everything that David did, you guys, everything that David did can be applied to our life. And so I want you to get into the slot of this passage here this morning. Because David was uh, inducted into the Hall of Faith, or Faith Hall of Fame, because of his faith and his faith in defeating his Goliath. Okay, so he's a good example for us. So the title of the message today is How to Face Your Giants with Faith. 
How to face your giants with faith. First of all, if you're gonna face your giants with faith, don't let the size of your giant intimidate you. It's easy to do, I get it. You're facing something that just seems like, how is, how is this gonna get fixed or resolved or dealt with? It's hard not to get intimidated by our, the size of our Goliath, of our giants, but we do, we're human, okay? In fact, let's look at, at what happened here in verses one through seven in chapter 17. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled rather, and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin. He was slung on his, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six shekels, 100 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. Now the Philistines were the arch enemies of the Israelites, we see in verse one, and they met the Israelites in battle at the Valley of Elah, which was about 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem and they would meet there for battle. The Israelites would gather on one side of the Valley of Elah, and the Philistines would gather on the other side of the Valley of Elah. And if one side wanted to relay a message or uh, a taunt the other side, throw insults at each other, or even have a one-on-one battle between their side and that side, uh, that, the other side, they would gather at the Valley of Elah, and that's what they would do. And so we find out later that every day for 40 days, this Philistine named Goliath would step out, go to the battle, and trash talk the Israelite army. Just a bunch of, just, just trash talk. Somebody said that Goliath sounded like 50 out-of-tune tubas all going off at once. Okay? Now, we, we're told that it kind of does. Up in verse 8, and then, then in verse 24, we told, we're told that Goliath shouted, he shouted. So if you can imagine this huge giant shouting really loud at the Israelite army. You know, I was thinking about this. Isn't it interesting that our Goliaths, like some of what I read, or you're facing a Goliath, they don't whisper, do they? They shout really loud. They shout, they shout, they shout, and they take us over, okay? They take our, all of our attention, they rent space in our head, Whatever that, whatever that looming giant is, or giants, plural, they, they shout, 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 and it seems like a whole day is given over to them until, uh, until it's dealt with. And Goliath was a big boy. He was really big. Scholars say he stood somewhere between nine feet nine and 11 feet four inches tall, and he weighed somewhere between 450 to 500 pounds. Now, I got curious, and so I looked up who the tallest man on, in history, in, on record was, and it's a guy named Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow, and he, and he died in 1940, but he was eight feet, 11 inches tall. Eight feet, 11 inches tall. And, and, and I, I thought, wow, I wonder what he looks like compared to Shaquille O'Neal. You know, because Shaquille O'Neal is like the this NBA center, retired now. Didn't he play for the Lakers and 
was it the Miami Heat also and whatever, seven feet one or two, right? And so I found a picture of Shaquille O'Neal standing next to a normal person. And the normal person looked like almost a toy figure, you know? It just really, really, really small. And then Shaquille went to a wax museum where there was a, a, a wax figure of Robert Wadlow. And so Shaquille O'Neal standing next to Robert Wadlow, and Shaquille O'Neal looks like a runt. It's a wax figure of him, but this, the actual height. Then I compared Robert Wadlow with Goliath and go up another three feet. And Robert Wadlow looks like a shrimp compared to Goliath. He's a big boy. His coat of armor weighed close to 200 pounds and were brass plates laid over one another like fish scales. His spear weighed over 32 pounds and the spearhead at the end of the spear weighed 17 pounds. And I always thought, well, what does 17 pound spearhead feel like? Well, we went shopping for groceries. Where are you, dear wife of mine? Oh, uh, and Debbie came out and she put the, the, the groceries in the car. I just read, read, I don't go into grocery stores too often. You know, dangerous things happen when I go into a grocery store. And um, I'll just say little Debbie snack cakes, okay? You get what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, so I don't go in. And, um, and she brought the groceries out and I saw a can of Crisco. You guys all know what Crisco is? Maybe some of you. Who does not know what Crisco is? Okay. Anyway, so I saw these cans of Crisco, and I said, Debbie, you're the math genius in our house. You got the math gene. How many cans of big old honking, shortening, fat, heavy cans of Crisco go into 17 pounds? And she says, well, let me figure it out. Da, 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 da. Six cans of Crisco. That's how much the spearhead weighs. I'm trying to give you an idea of how big this guy is. Six cans of Crisco was the weight of the spearhead. Okay. I bet you never thought you'd hear about Crisco this morning, did you? Right. Anyway, Goliath's size, just his size resembles uh, the size of the challenges and circumstances that we face right now, some of you, and we worry about. And they intimidate us and they frighten us and they loom over us. And often our lives are spent in mental battle, emotional battle with our giants. Again, they could be people, debt, disease, decisions we have to make, disabilities, addictions, unknowns, problems, but we, they loom over us. Now, interestingly enough, David wasn't intimidated by the size of Goliath. His faith was in the infinite God. He didn't worry about it. You see, you don't hear one particle of worry in David in this chapter, not one. Pretty cool. That's why it's good for us to study David and his faith when he faced his Goliath. And so if we want to uh, not let the, uh, face our giants with faith, we need to not let the size of our giant imitate us, or intimidate us, rather. But secondly, not only do we not, need, should not let the size of the giant intimidate us, secondly, don't let the threat of your giant paralyze you. Because what happens when we face our Goliaths is fear takes over. Fear takes over. And, and it's easy for fear to take over in our lives. Fear, fear, fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of everything. And so 
We see something interesting in the ver- verse eight and following about not letting thre- the threat of fear paralyze the, uh, us uh, when we have a giant to deal with. Let's look at verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come to, down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks. And that's just how he said it too. I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first one was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. And they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things uh, with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Now, I'll come back to this, but but check out verse 24. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So he taunted them for 40 days, and uh, David's father, Jesse, sends David to take some bread and cheese and... uh, and grain to his brothers because they might, you know, he wants to feed the troops. Someone said that they must have been exhausted and hungry after 40 days of cowering in fear. Did you get that? Okay, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was really funny, but um, three words describe the reaction of Saul and his army at the taunts and threats of Goliath. Two are in verse 11 and they are dismay and terror, and then one's in verse 24, great fear, great fear. Have you ever been really afraid? That's a stupid question, isn't it? We've all been afraid. I could, we could just list, 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 list uh, things that we've been afraid of, and fear is really a powerful emotion because it can paralyze us. Fear can uh, demoralize us. Uh, now again, all kinds of fear. Fear of the future, fear of making the wrong decision, Fear of a person, fear of someone's opinion, fear of the unknown, all, the, you know, all kinds of fears, you know. Fear of failure, fear of change, fear of being defeated in something. I mean, it can really discourage us. Fear, it can weaken us. It can weaken our resolve. It fills us with apprehension. It, fear tries to convince us that we're gonna fail. 
And whether we like it or not, we're going to be defeated. It's powerful. Fear can cause us to kind of give up and just throw in the towel and say, okay, whatever. And um, it's not from God. That's the thing that I sometimes forget. You know, that this fear that I have of my Goliath is not from God. 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So if we're filled with fear about something, it's coming either from Satan or our own weak flesh, our mortal mind and principle of sin in our bodies. But here's what I, when I want, said pay attention to verse 24, this is what I mean. Is this I find fascinating. I find fascinating. Verse 24, when the Israelites saw the men, they all ran from him in great fear. But who didn't run? David's standing on that, the, 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 the edge of the cliff in uh, the Valley of Elah. All the troops take off. They're, you know, when they see Goliath, they're running in the opposite direction. And there's David standing there going, why are you guys running away? He was not captured by fear. That's why he's in Faith's Hall of Fame. And that's why we need to exemplify David, okay, and not... Uh, run away in fear. Now that takes faith, and we'll talk about that momentarily. God doesn't want us, listen everybody, please, listen. I'm, I'm going, I've gone, I'm going, I always will go through this. Please listen. God does not want you to run away in fear. He doesn't want you to wrongly respond to your Goliaths. He doesn't want us to wrongly respond to our Goliath. Now, I'll get to that at my last point here, point number four. But when you're afraid of the future, of the unknown, when you're afraid of something that's imposing you, maybe it's a person, place, or thing, whatever, you know, the list is endless. But when you're afraid of those things and they loom over you like a Goliath, God does not want us to be intimidated by the size of our Goliath, and he doesn't want us to be paralyzed by the fear that threatens us, Okay? And so we, he wants us to be like David. David. And, he, and, and, and if one verse could, if one verse in the whole Bible could tell us what God wants us to know about fear, for me, it would be Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. God's telling you and me, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. For I am your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And boy, I've, if that verse hasn't gone through my mind a hundred times, it hasn't gone through it at all. Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous hand. And so, um, if we're going to face our giants with faith, number one, okay, don't let the size of our giant intimidate us. We can't let the threat of our giant paralyze us. And then thirdly, we can't let the difficulty of our giant embarrass us. Okay? Verse 25, we can't let the difficulty of our giant embarrass us. Verse 25. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. 
He will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father, father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the, this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with him, and he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, for he has been a fighting man from his youth. Now an incentive is given, David, for or anybody for killing Goliath. Okay, so you get, you get a lot of money, and then you get the king's daughter, who would probably need a lot of money, right? Because she's used to the finer things in life. <laughs> and then you, you don't have to pay any taxes. Can you imagine getting your property tax? And it comes in the mail, you get that, oh, my, and you get to rip it up. And that, that was the incentive for killing Goliath. But David isn't worried about that. He's shocked at the situation. He's, he's amazed that no one will fight this big mouth Goliath and that any of the Israelite soldiers would allow Goliath to defy God. And so in effect, David was saying, you know, you guys, my God's bigger than this giant. How could you guys not see this? David knew God. See, Dave, David fellowshiped with God out there in the pasture lands and hills. He walked with God. We're told in the Bible that he was a man after God's own heart. And if you say, what's the first step in me taking care of these, this or these Goliaths in my life? Because I'm really, I'll tell you what, Mitch, if I was to be honest with you, they have captured me. They are intimidating me. I would say doing what David did, fellowshipping with God. And I, I'm not putting any fingers at anybody. My eyes are closed. But do you have a quality time with God? Do you spend quality time in his word, in, his pr in prayer, and in fellowship? Yeah, obviously you're here, so I'm preaching to the choir on that one. But do, but do you do that regularly, deeply, richly? Uh, because that's how David got to where he wasn't afraid of his Goliath. He spent time with the Lord. Okay, And because of that reason, he knew enough about God not to be terrified of this huge giant because he knew God was infinitely bigger than the giant. But if you don't read those things and meditate on them, the word of God, and pray to the awesome, mighty God and fellowship with other people that believe the same thing, you're just gonna get, um, you're gonna get knocked out in the first round. Anyway, we find in verses 24, 28 through 33, that Eliab, David's brother, is very, very critical of David. Did you notice that? And it's really, it's kind of, um, it's really, really critical. I mean, bitingly critical, you know, sharply critical. Okay, if you look, look, we'll just look at it again. When Eliab, verse 28, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with, his, with the men, he said, I'm so glad you're here, David. 
No, he says, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty critical, and I got to thinking about that. Why was Eliab so angry with David? Because David didn't do anything but bring some cheese bread, and what else did he bring? Grain to his brothers and to their leaders. You know why I think Eliab was so critical? I think he was embarrassed. I do. I think he was so embarrassed because he was one of those army guys that just ran for the hills when Goliath showed up. I think he was embarrassed. I think he felt defeated. And when his brother came, instead of saying, hey, David, man, this is rough, and I'm really, really failing. Instead of that, he turned really critical. He, he, he got loud at David. He criticized David. And I was thinking about that because I, some of us, some of you have people in your lives in some area that really are, pro, you would call them problem people or difficult people. Um, I have a friend who calls them blessed distractions. Okay. Try to put a positive spin on those people. But, and they seem to be critical or bitter or, uh, you know what? I think the reason Eliab was so critical of David was that he was, in a sense, hurting from his own failures and his own embarrassment. And it doesn't excuse his behavior, does it? But it does explain his behavior. And it brings in the principle, I just wanted to bring this in from left field today. You know, hurting people hurt people, don't they? And just take a moment when you're facing these difficult people to think, you know, there's something in their life that has caused them to be this way. It's not right, and we're not excusing the behavior, but it does help explain the behavior. And it causes us to be a little less uh, quick to fire back at those people. In fact, David doesn't fire back. He's, he, it's kind of gentle. He says, what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then I love what he does. He turns away to someone else. He says, I'm not going to get caught up in this t- uh, toxic conversation. I'm just going to move on. Isn't that wonderful? David was able to do that. In Psalm 119.51, a psalm that David most, most likely wrote, it says, the arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. He was saturated with the law of God, with prayer, with fellowship with God, so he could just turn away. And that's something we can practice outside the church, but also inside the church, too. Okay? And when someone comes at us, we can say, you know, they might be hurting, and so I'm just going to let them vent, and I'm not saying it's right, but you know what? Maybe there's something in their life that I could listen to and eventually uh, love them up about. So... And also, we need to be careful, too. Because sometimes our giants can embarrass us. And they can harm us. And they can uh, cause us to be irritable. And, you know, I'll just, can, I get, can I be personal with you? Is that okay? You go, yeah, we want to hear something personal. I noticed that in my most impatient times with my beautiful, wonderful wife is when I'm threatened by something else. And if I'm threatened by a person, place, or thing, and she and I are together, things that normally should not cause a negative reaction in me pushes that to the surface. 
You guys with me about that? And so I have to say, hey, babe, will you forgive me for uh, biting your head off or being impatient with you? I'm facing this, and I'm struggling. And she'll say, I'm going to pray for you. And when she does, and then we just, you know, there's no wedge between us. And so we got to be careful in our marriages, in our parenting, in our church, wherever it is. I mean, it could be at your, wherever you work, that when someone, uh, when you're feeling a Goliath, that like I feel sometimes not to, to let, um, I don't know, uh, our, our uh, failure or our anxiety or our fearfulness uh, push to the surface things that, um, uh, that ordinarily wouldn't be there. Okay. So let's go to the last point here, which is the best part. It ends wonderfully because our enemy is decapitated. I love that part. Okay. Fourth, if you're going to face your giants by faith, and God, listen, this, Hebrews 11, you guys, I wish you hadn't put that clock back there. You know, that really bothers me. No, I'm kidding. Um, it goes so fast. Anyway, um, God wants Cedar Home Baptist Church, the people of our church, to walk in faith. He doesn't want us to be a fleshly congregation. He wants victories and miracles and the joy of the Lord as part of our fabric. And that means living by faith. Not just going through the motions or giving up, but living by faith and getting the victories that come from that. So here we go. If we're gonna face our giants by faith, we need to not let the size of our giant intimidate us, number one. Not let the threat of our giant paralyze us with fear, number two. Not let the difficulty of our giant embarrass us, okay? And finally, we must not let the victory over our giant escape us, because it can, it can. Okay, let's go through the, the, the rest of the chapter here. Verse 34. I know this is a long stretch, but it's got to be done. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul because I am not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David, and he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog, that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have de 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 
defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel uh, shout, uh, Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the great gates of Ekron. And their dead were strewn along the Shareim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. All right. Now... God wants us to have, the, listen closely, this is, not, this is not some preacher up here jumping up and down and trying to hype everybody out and, you know, come in for your Sunday hype lesson. I'm not doing that. We were, well, anyway, this is not what is happening here. What is happening here is God is saying to you, 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 and you that no less of a victory can be yours over your giant if you do what David did. Okay, so let's find out. Let's, let's get through this last, last point here. Okay, because you know what? The kind of victories that God wants us to have, we, can, we cannot, sometimes they can escape us. We cannot get them. We cannot have them. Okay, if we're not careful, we can lose that opportunity with a lack of faith. When Jesus went to one town, he says, I, I could do no works there because you lack in faith. Okay? So anyway, David moves forward to take on Goliath, and he does three things. And I don't know if you caught him, uh, but the three things. He has a threefold solution for conquering this giant. And we need to fit, apply that. And if we apply it, we'll have the victory over our Goliath. Number one, he exercised faith. He looked back in faith, and then he looked up in faith. He looked back in faith. He said, look, God enabled me to kill a bear and a lion. And it's so easy to run past that, isn't it? But if you've ever seen a grown male lion, and I talked about this a couple, two, three weeks ago, I, I like to look at lions. Because sometimes I'll say, oh, a lion, yeah, well, I could have done that too. No. You look, in the, when those lions attack their prey, like uh, videos, it's an awesome thing. I mean, they take down enormous animals. And David took that lion and he just, like a stuffed doll, he tore him apart. And the bears, I've never seen a bear up close. I've seen one kind of close, but bears are, they're, they're bears, you know, they're scared. <laughs> and David tore this one like a teddy bear. And he said, you know what? God enabled me to do that. 
So he looks back in faith. And the first thing you and I need to do is when we face glass, we need to look back in faith. And I know this sound, I've said it before, you say, Pastor Mitch, you say this all the time. I'll say it until I die. When we look at all the times that God came through for us, having never failed us, we need to remember those. Because we forget. We get spiritual amnesia, don't we? Almost instantly, we face a Goliath and we forget all of the years that God's been faithful to us. And we've got to go back and say, God took care of the lion and he took care of the bear. Chuck Swindoll says, when facing giants, we often forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget. And then he didn't just look back in faith, he looked up in faith, up to God in faith. How can we tell that? Well, it, it has to do with the number of stones that he took out of the, of the creek, or whatever, I can't remember what he called the creek or river, and he took five stones, but have you ever asked yourself, there was one Goliath, why did he take five stones? Probably have, maybe you've heard this preached on before. But I think it's really cool. He took five stones because Goliath had four brothers. Second Samuel 21, check me out on it. Five, there were five Goliaths of size. I was thinking, wow, can you imagine the dinner table when these kids were teenagers? <laughs> what it took to feed them? Pass the side of beef, please, you know? I mean, Big guys. And so what he did, he took one for Goliath and four for the other four Goliath brothers. David was so confident in God that he planned on knocking all the Goliaths off. Okay, that's faith. That's faith. No wonder he was inducted into Faith's Hall of Fame. He was thinking, if God proved faithful with a lion and a bear, he'd prove faithful here. He understood when facing a giant in his life that faith and trust in God was key. That fear and doubt must be thrown out. Now, I'm going to say this with all the seriousness I know how because I, I say this from personal experience. This is not from the neck on up. This is from the heart. When you face your Goliath, you and I have to drive the stake of faith into the ground. It has to be a stake of faith. And that takes discipline, and it takes concentration, and it takes perseverance. But God responds to that in his time and in his way. Okay? So David exercised faith. Okay? He didn't trust in the flesh. Saul tried to put the armor on David. Can you imagine It'd be like going to a, a, a mall and going into a, a, a store that has men's and boys' clothing, and let's say you have a, a boy of seven and taken to the men's clothing and putting on men's suits and men's pants and how ridiculous that would look. That's what this armor looked like to David. And David said, no, this isn't going to work. So David didn't trust in man's ways. He looked up to faith and said, God, I, I trust you. You're going to do this for me. It looks scary, but I trust you. And he drove that stake into the ground and he concentrated and he persevered until God answered. He didn't trust in the flesh. And finally, he moved forward. He moved forward. 
in, he, 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 he moved into, into um, the situation. He didn't stand back and close his eyes and he, he went into the situation. There's a point, my friends, when whatever giant you face, you're gonna have to walk into it. It's after you have faith, after you don't trust your own flesh, and then you walk into it. And David walked into Goliath in faith, in confidence, in God. And he says something so important. He says, in verse 47 is my baby here. And it says, uh, is, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. And that is the cherry on top of the Sunday here this morning. Okay, the battle is the Lord's. If you and I, if you and I can remember that, to, go f- to, to have faith in God, to not go in the flesh and move in to the situation and say, hear me now, as clear as I can possibly say, that the battle is the Lord's. I will let him fight this on behalf of me. God, take over, move the circumstances around, superintend the pieces on the chessboard for, so that I can win and have a victory. God, I give it to you. It's yours. Give me the strength. You will slay your Goliath. I guarantee it. Been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. And I am confident, sometimes I waver, but I am confident that my list of Goliaths are going to go down as God intends them to go, the ones that I have next to my coffee table. That's how God wants us to faith our Goliath. To realize next to God, Goliath is a puny runt that's going to go down fast, it's going to go down hard when God intends it to go down hard. God will accomplish the victory for us as we express faith in him to do it according to his will and time and promise, just like he did for David. And Goliath fell, and he'll fall in our lives. The battle is the Lord's. Did you notice David didn't have a sword? The battle is the Lord. Did you notice David didn't have any armor? The battle is the Lord's. Do you notice David didn't stand in fear? The battle is the Lord's. It's his battle. And you can say that to yourself. Oh, it's his battle. It's his, thank goodness, it's his battle. 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 I like what um, Ray Fowler says. He says, the battle is over before it barely begins. There's a knockout punch in the first round On the very first punch, David triumphs over Goliath without a sword in his hand. And trusting God's power and using God's weapon, David triumphs over the Philistine with just a sling and a stone. A.W. Pink, the famous theologian, said, one stone in the hand of faith was more than all the Philistines' armor on the giant of unbelief. And I love this. He says, you can apply this to any situation in your life. Don't be afraid or discouraged when you're facing this morning, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I I told you, I love the fact that David cuts off Goliath's head. And I don't want to be gory here, but you know why I love the fact that David chops off Goliath's head? Because it's so decisive. It's not, did did I win that battle or not? Did I get victory over my Goliath or not? 
And he picks up that head and he takes it, you know, where does it say, back to Jerusalem. I love the decisiveness of the victory. And you know, some of you are facing giants today. You're facing problems or people or circumstances or decisions that threaten you, okay? And you feel like maybe, maybe I'm not gonna make it. Maybe I'm gonna be defeated. You feel overwhelmed and threatened and, and, and fear is renting space in your head. Don't forget the battle belongs to the Lord and remember the size of your God in comparison to the size of um, Goliath. Okay? Remember that. Give your Goliath to God in faith that he will act in your behalf. Don't try to fight it on your own. You won't. You can't. But give it to him. Chuck Swindoll, once again, I don't know what your intimidating giant is today. It may relate to your job, your roommate, your school. Maybe it's a person, a lawsuit, unemployment, a disaster. Maybe even your own partner in life. Perhaps it is some fear that is lurking around the corner, sucking up your energy and draining your faith. God is saying to you right now, all I ask of you is five smooth stones and a sling of faith. I'll take it from there. You don't have to wear someone else's armor. You just trust me, God says, and I'll strip you down to nothing but faith, and then I'll accomplish a victory where I'll get the glory. But as for you, you trust me. Trust him. Maybe you haven't started out the life of faith yet. You're not a Christian. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Now's the time to do that so you can be saved and have someone to fight life's Goliath for you on your behalf. Christ can't be in your corner until he's in your heart and in your life. Repent of your sin. Believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. Trust him to forgive you of your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you'll be able to face, face the Goliath in life just like David did. Can we stand and finish in prayer, please? Our Father, I love these people. I love them so much. And I can feel and sense that probably every one of us here to one degree or another has a Goliath or two in our lives. Some fear, some unknown, some uh, imposing, intimidating circumstances of some kind. I do too. Thank you for this map, Lord, that gets us from fear to ultimate victory. It'll be in your time. It'll be your way. It'll be for your glory. It'll be a blessing to us. And we just commit our Goliath to you and just take this moment to name your Goliath to the Lord, just to materialize it in your mind to him. Take a moment to do that this morning. My Goliath is, and say that to the Lord. Father, each one of these people have committed their Goliath to you right now. As they identify that and go through what David went through, show them the victory that you want them to have. And you're gonna use it to grow their faith and show them what a wonderful God you are. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for being here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.